Hey everybody, before we start the show, I just wanted to take a second to ask you to follow us on Twitter. We run a lot of fun polls on there, we let you know when the new episodes are out, and we just have some great music conversations. So please follow us at ListenInPod. Also, follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and leave us a review. Thanks. Let's start the show. Listening podcast episode 42 September albums recap episode Jake we got a lot of big albums that have come out or are coming out tomorrow what do we got um so this is an important day a lot of albums obviously doesn't include the few that are dropping on the 30th but some of the many that we've we've referenced before on the podcast um so to jump right in, we have Angel Olsen with her new album what was it called My Woman yes my woman uh Touche Amore uh, with Stage 4, Hamilton and Rossum with I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, Symbols uh, Eat Guitars with Pretty Years, and Beach Slang with, do you know the title? It's a like, Loud Bash of Teenage Feelings. Thank you for Can that. Can you have more of a Beach Slang name than that? No, it sounds like one from the Beach Slang name generator. It does. If anyone hasn't seen that Twitter account and is a fan or knows of Beach Slang, check out the Beach Slang song name generator Twitter. It's it basically funny. combines words like Dirty, young, kids, cigarette, loud, young, alive, um, lights, cigarettes. It's just like a combination of those nine words. They started. They've started implementing the the new. Oh, the song new names. one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and so this. I think the Twitter. I think it's beach slang slang. Yeah, <laughs> which is really yeah. funny. It's like a yeah. Dale Art. Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr. 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 situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, really funny account. Maybe maybe we... I know we wanted to start with Angel Olsen. Maybe we just dive into beach slang right now. Let's, let's, talk, yeah. let's talk beach slang. we got to be more organic. Let's That's talk, the whole yeah, point. Let's talk beach slang. All right, let's talk... So, beach slang, I, they came up with an album last year around October, November mm-hmm. time frame. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Is that the things we do? Yeah, yeah. Is it, things we do to find people who feel like us. That was their their first album. They had a couple EPs before that. They're already coming out with a new album. I've seen them live a couple times. You've seen them live. The one time. They have a very specific shtick and thing that they're going for. And it seems like they're doubling down on that for this second album. Which, hey, it worked on the EPs. It worked on that first album. We have both heard this new album a couple times streaming early. Uh, What do you think about them just being like, this is who we are, this is what we're going for, not switching things up at all. Basically making the same album over again. What do you think? Well, I definitely agree with you based on the couple of listens I've had so far. And I do intend to listen more, but I agree with... Dude, Shock Jock is still doing laps. Again, this is an intimidation technique, and this won't be tolerated. For anyone who is still listening at the end of the show, Shock Jock Jock came over for the first time in a few weeks, and he... He gave us his little his his take on football, which I have to say was offensive to all good taste. It was. It um, was. He's not worth listening to or following on Twitter. And you know what? The proof's in the pudding. His Twitter followers are dwindling, <laughs> and he rarely tweets. Um, so, anyways, but to get to beach slang, um, yeah. So in listening to it, uh, so we talked on the podcast before about this. I like beach slang. I think I'm into them less than you are. So this was, of these albums on this list, it was lower in the totem pole of the ones I was excited for. I did listen, and I will say that on the first few listens, I was enjoying it for sure, but I can see what happened with the last album for me happening with this one, which is that I hear it, I get through all the songs a handful of times, five, ten, and then I just don't, 
barring some huge emotional connection that, that finds its way in, I won't feel the need to revisit too much because I like the songs, don't necessarily love them, and I find some of the repetition they do with riffs and sort of just, I don't know, they're, like you said, it's very much a shtick, it's very much, uh, they, they know what they do well and they, and they definitely do it well, but I, it, it doesn't bear a ton of listens for me. Yep. So I got really into their first album. Here's what I like about Beach Slang is they are so clearly channeling the replacements. They yeah. have like an obsession with the replacements to the point where they play a bunch of co- replacements covers live. And I think they actually did a full concert where they played all of Please to Meet Me live, which is a replacements album. Oh, wow. So uh, they are all about them. So they channel them hard, which I like. I appreciate I like it that. too. They're also very Springsteenian in the way. Well done there. In the way that they channel this uh, youth, free spirit kind of culture and vibe in their lyrics. So I think if you're really into that kind of thing, if you're into the replacements era kind of punk rock, if you're into Bruce Springsteen, uh, youth-oriented, born-to-run, young-and-alive kind of lyrics. This is going to be right up your alley. But I think you need to kind of check yourself at the door with some of these things. You need to realize... It's kind of like when you go to see uh, a movie, like Inception or something. You know, you yeah. need to... You need to suspend disbelief That's for a, a little bit. That's a great way to put it. You need to suspend disbelief with beach slang. You need to understand what and who they are yeah. and what you're going to get out of this. And you need to say that this isn't going to always be in the best taste or be you know, the most artistic thing that I'm listening to. But I like it for what it is, yeah. which is kind of this uh, adrenaline pumping uh, punk rock. That I think you put it the best way. That that that's a perfect way to think about it. You do. You have to suspend disbelief and f- just let yourself believe that these guys are like these young punks in in these stories they put themselves in. Um, and the the funny thing is, and why you even need to suspend disbelief more is lead singer songwriter James Alex. He's forty two. Yeah, and he's singing about. You know, being a kid and teenagers in the being, album, title. yeah, and being like a teenager and going through all this strife, and so you can see why some people might find it disingenuous. I don't personally hate it. I certainly don't dislike it. Like I said, I like that album. I enjoy what I listen to here. Is it something I always want to revisit? No. Here's my question, though: Is there any band that music writers get bigger for? No. Music writer no, I, Twitter I, no. is so amped for beach slang. I, I just to, slipped into shock jock a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you did. I, so, first of all, no, they don't. They don't get bigger for really anyone else. Maybe like Bonnie Vare. Maybe, yeah. In a different way. In a different way. The reason why, and this goes back to what I was saying about being Springsteenian and being and channeling the replacement. I just want to point out that's twice you've said that you haven't stumbled once. That's right. It's a great word. It's a great Springsteenian. So one of the reasons, a lot of music writer Twitter is late 30s, early 40s. It's right in that wheelhouse for being a Replacements fan. It's right in that wheelhouse for being into Bruce Springsteen. This is channeling all of that. It's basically, it's pandering to these people. Yeah. So I think in a way, it's getting sort of a boost critically because it's these people it's it's an audience who's talking about this band yep. who's already inclined to like them. And maybe people who are a little bit younger, they don't identify with them as much. I myself, I, I love Bruce Springsteen. I love The Replacements. I like beach slang for all of those reasons. I think it's easier for me 
than it is for you to suspend my disbelief and kind of right. lose myself in the emotion and feeling of this music, even though I know that it's maybe not the most genuine thing. Like, nuanced. It's not coming from a place of, like, real-life experience or anything. It's, it's clearly pandering, but I'm okay with it. Sp- Springsteen... Maybe there's a theme here, because Springsteen... Um, Celebration Rock by Japan Droids and Beach Link to an extent are all things that have had to grow on me. They've yeah. had to, like Springsteen especially, like we used to talk about the fact that um, with with Bruce, I just didn't get it for a long time. I, I didn't get into it and I didn't understand what the big deal was. I now love some of those albums, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Born to Run, they're awesome. But this is a, this is a genre of like, it's like redemption rock. Yeah. It's like rock about going out and grabbing life by the horns yep. and like taking over it's yep. taking the reins back yep. in your own life it's like dry, like literally driving down the highway and being free yeah. and like being adventurous and it's all a crazy cliche stuff. too it's a cliche but it but there will always be a market for that yes. people want that out of rock because it's kind of one of its simplest ideals yep. is the idea of sovereignty as a person the idea of like taking power and and just living life yeah. Sort of on the edge. Yeah. And even if it is slightly pandering, if even if it is slightly disingenuous, I think that there's a reason bands that, that sing songs and like play music in that vein, why, why that works for them. 100%. And sometimes you're just in the mood for that type of music, and yeah. that's totally okay. That's awesome. Sometimes you need that music. So two things. One, I don't think that it's possible to talk about beach slang in a critical context without also mentioning Japan droids. No, it's not. I, I Every single review or think piece I read about beach slang name drops Japan droids as well. Right. Um, the other thing that I was going to say, I actually completely forget now. It was something about how beach slang is just... it's They're, they're a critical darling, but is it... Is it completely... Founded, like, is that backed up by the gold standard? Right. Is this a band where the people like them as much as the as right. the, the pundits seem to? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I will say this though, Th- their live shows. And I say this every time we we talk about Beach Slang are so much fun. Well, I they're, agree with they're, you. There's some of the best live music experiences that you can have because this type of music lends itself to that so much, and the people who go, they know all the words, they they shout along with 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 James Alex up there. They have a great time. Quick side note, Alex isn't a last name, right? There's no way. It, it is. Be. I mean, like, it is. Alex? It is. Have you ever met someone with the last name Alex? It's like a nickname. No. Yeah. Do you no. think his name is, like, J- James Alexander? Maybe. And he goes by Alex? Maybe. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think that's a name. See, something that I've come to realize over the past year of listening to them and, like, hearing interviews with him and, and having some industry inside info from from some people we know is that like anonymous sources this dude just seems like a very like seems all seems like all kind of a put on he seems artificial yeah without a doubt he does it seems it it takes away from it a bit for me it does for me as well because it's hard i mean i get i do get the feeling when i hear him interviewed that he believes in what he's saying it's not like i i think that he's shilling out this idea of rock and not really believing it. I think he does, but also he's got to know 
what might seem weird about a dude who's in his early 40s singing about like teenage feelings and and these these, these ideas of of youth rock rebellion. I, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Of course he does. Do you, so do you think it's really calculated and he's doing it in a way to, to put on, like he is going backstage and he's like, all right, I can be done with this bullshit. I don't believe that for it's, a second. I'll, I'll, but when I talk to people, when I play music, I'll put on like I do. But then behind, like, do you think it's to that level? It's, no, it's 70% he genuinely thinks and feels this way because that's just who he is and he loves the replacements and he thinks there's, like power in rock music, thirty percent of it's a put on and calculated. I guarantee it. He, and, he's not one hundred percent genuine. You can't be. Well, and not to get over the top philosophical, but who among us is one hundred percent genuine? That's true. And you, you could That's argue true. that, especially in an industry like music, where everything is about how, like, so much of it is tied into style and and aesthetic. A lot of what people do might be disingenuous as well. That's true. So maybe. Uh, Maybe the beach slang critics should 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 hush a little bit. That's I don't true. know. That's true. Speaking of beach slang critics, Jake, Angel Olsen came out with a new album recently. <laughs> Is she a critic of beach slang? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm doing one of our great transitions. Here's the thing about that transition is that I'm going to transition equally weekly okay. by saying that the album name for this, My Woman, is in all caps. Yeah. Right? Not an aesthetic move I like. I don't like the. Oh, all caps. I don't like the all caps. Doesn't doesn't affect the music. No, it doesn't. At all. I don't like the all caps though. We've seen another couple albums that came out this year that are that employ the all caps. And in our spreadsheet of stuff, it's like someone's yelling at you with the album title. Name. It is annoying to, it's to like, my woman. It's like okay, okay all right, okay. Angel, hey, calm down there. And actually, sure. you can't call her by her name without sounding like you're patronizing her. It's true. Listen, Angel. That's true. Yeah, it's like it's like you, princess. Yeah, if seriously. her name was Princess Olsen. Your worshipfulness. All right, Princess, calm down. Yeah. It's like your Han Solo. Han Solo, yeah. yeah. So we were talking a little bit before the show about this album. We both really like it. We really like My Woman. There's no doubt. Got a pitchfork, best new music. There's some great, really strong tracks on here. But what we ended up saying was, as much as we like it, and as much as we've listened to it, it's still kind of forgettable. It is slightly, and there's songs that I definitely remember. There are songs that when I'm done a list, I'm like, oh, I really like that one. And as I'm going through, I'm like, okay, I like this song. But for example, I, when I realized we were going to talk about it today, I realized I don't have that many nuanced takes on it yet because I forget a lot of the song names because I just listen to it through as an album. It's a great experience. It's like a nice singer-songwriter, somewhat mellow, but somewhat harder rock sort of vibe. Um, and yeah, it is... I don't know if forgettable is has a really negative connotation. It just sort of like goes by, and I know I liked it, but I I can't speak very eloquently to the moments I like that much. I can't either. Like I I love Shut Up Kiss Me. Yeah, that's probably my favorite on there. I love Intern. Um, so this ended up happening to me with her last album too. So I would I listened to it probably about the same amount of times, and the album is called Burn Your Fire for No Witness. Really cool name. Great, great name. It's, awesome album title. It's like better than My Woman. Yeah, it is. It's more of like a lo-fi album. I think than I this listened one. a few times back when it came out. So there's a few great songs on there, like Unfuck the World, Forgiven Forgotten, and White Fire. And I remember those off the top of my head. The rest of the album, I couldn't tell you how it goes. So it's the same thing with My Woman. Like Intern's great, Shut Up Kiss Me's great. Sister, I remember, and is great. I honestly, I, I can't really tell you 
how the rest go. If you told me, hey, Sean, how does this song go? Yeah, how does uh, how does heart-shaped face go? I honestly can't tell you. Right. And so here's the thing. The, my, the ones that jump out at me that I know, I know from just looking at this are Intern, Never Be Mine, Shut Up, Kiss Me. So the first three. And then... And so, okay, I'm kind of lying here because I was going to say those were the days because it's one of my favorites, but I don't really remember how it goes that well. When I hear it, I'm always like, oh, yeah, this is my, right. one of my favorites on the right. album. Right, Anthony Fantano, the needle drop, Sean, reviewed this album. Your boy. He, right, and he gave it an eight, which is good, yep. but he said that was his least favorite song. He and I are never in lockstep with favorite never. songs. His least favorites are almost always your favorites. One time with Caribou, for example, yeah. Silver was his least favorite song. He called it like a... a he, he compared it to just, like, lazy chill wave. I was like, I love that song. But yeah, like, dude, I don't even know. Pops, this last song, couldn't tell you how it goes. That one has piano. That's about all I could tell you. Well, there you go. A piano song. Yeah. P for Pops. That, it was probably it's, a mnemonic thing is, for you. It is. It um, is. But yeah, I... So, <laughs> that's the weird thing we realized is as we went through this, we're like... The recommendation would be go give this album a listen. It's good, but but let us know on Twitter if you also feel like you don't know what song is which. I've listened to it. it has to be this like, is 10, like times. ten times. Yeah, it has to be. And I'm always like, point. I like this. Yeah, but, what but I never totally feel like listening. I don't either. No, I don't either. I'm I, like, I always like it, but I'm never excited to I'm listen. I'm not really either. I'm always like, I should listen to this because it's good and it's like supposed to be good. Everyone's talking about and it, and I like it. I, I'm not overly excited about it. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on why. I think it's just what we talked about. I think it's that I I know the songs, but I haven't committed a lot of it to memory in terms of establishing which track name is which song. And it, it's something to do with the way it plays through, and there's a few really long songs, yeah. and the sounds kind of get blurred a little bit. They do. And it's... I think she's a good songwriter, and I think that this is some really strong stuff on here, but I don't know. Maybe... We're spinning our wheels on this one. So I think she has a pattern of doing this thing where on one half of the album she'll have her more upbeat, catchy songs, and then on the second half she'll do songs that are still really good but they're more slowed down. And I think that makes it hard, that big distinction between these are all like your fast-paced rocker songs, these are your more subdued ones. I think that makes it harder to remember because each half of those albums just kind of blur together. You're like, oh, this is the first half that's kind of faster. This is the second half that's slower. Yep. And you never really identify a specific track. Also, so I think what we see with Angel Olsen is kind of similar to what we see with Beach Slang. With, she's also a critical darling. Yep. But I think for a lot of different reasons. I think Probably the opposite reason. I think it is the opposite reason. She's like this like tasteful singer, female singer-songwriter yep. that I think gets a bump. Because she's a tasteful female singer-songwriter. So you think that the, the that critically she gets a boost because maybe writers go in wanting to like it more, yeah. more than they do? So I can agree with that. I And it's good. It's really definitely. good. It gets so much love, though, that like it maybe it's still positive reviews but not as, as glowing as they are. She even got a feature on The Ringer, which yeah. I was surprised to see. Yeah. I feel like The Ringer, they just skimmed the top of music, really. Uh, they they just did a piece on Beach Slang. Did they really? Well, they did with Grantland, too, yeah. right? That Wasn't that Stephen yes, Hyde's was. last piece for Grantland? That's right. One thing I will say, I like on, and I've forgotten the damn song name again, the second song, Never Be Mine. I like the 12-string acoustic guitar they're doing there. Yeah. Nice nice vibe. Reminds yeah. me of... Uh, what the Beatles were doing on, like, Help. But I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I'm right. putting the cart before the horse <laughs> with right. the Beatles. Right. We'll get there. That's right. 
Uh, yeah, so Angel Olsen, I really good. I like it. I like it too. Let's let's we're spinning our wheels. Let's jump in. Speaking of spinning our wheels, mm-hmm. Jake, let's talk Touche Amore. Perfect. Or, or okay, is this Touche Amore or is this Touche Amore? I think it's Touche Amore. I think there's two accent marks. Okay, so I think it's Touche okay. Amore. Okay. Some I... some post hardcore fan is gonna put us in our place after sitting through our. Beach slang and Angel Olsen talk. Right, maybe they will, and it's fine. Like, do it. I'm, I've never heard the yeah. name pronounced. Like, big deal. Anyways, um, I've only ever read it. Dude. Like, right. Fuck you. I like that we've we've created this like <laughs> fake hardcore fan. He's always wearing a bandana. Avatar out there who's mm-hmm. listening, just mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of mad at us about. He's like, oh, can't wait to hear what these idiots say about Touche Amore. Like, only I get them. <laughs> um, anyways, this is a. Hardcore or like post-hardcore or screamo album. I don't know what you want to call it. It sort of falls into all those categories. It's called Stage Four, um, and I am really, really liking it. Yeah. I listened a few times yesterday alone, and the premise of this album is that the lead singer slash screamer slash like slam poet, <laughs> um, his mother died of cancer two years ago. And so a lot of the themes throughout the album are him coping with that loss, coping with what that relationship meant. Um, it, it's it's a pretty like harrowing sort of listening experience. Very different from either of the two we've talked about so far. Agreed. It's some heavy stuff. Uh, the story behind this album is that he, uh, the lead singer-songwriter, I don't know his name, I apologize. It's like Matt Balm or something? Yeah, he was at a show in, I think, what, was it Jacksonville or Tampa? Gainesville, 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 Florida, uh, around Halloween. I think it might have been Halloween night, and his band was performing, and he got word that his mom had just passed away of cancer as he was off stage. Yep. Um, so a lot of the themes on here and a lot of the stories on here are about him actually getting that news and what his first thoughts and reactions were on here. And he brings up, like... You know how Halloween's not the same, or like I was out here living my dream while you were, like were back home dying, and, and like, I wasn't there for you. And and that specific story you just told is basically all of the song Eight Seconds, which yeah. is a minute and a half long, and it's a really fast, like pulsing, aggressive song. But the whole story is how he gets off stage. And he comes back to his phone to a message that says, we need to talk when you have a chance. And he says, so I socialized and put up a wall and procrastinated getting, like, going and calling somebody and finding out the news. And then it ultimately at the end of the song he finds out that she died an hour ago. And he says, "As you while you were on stage living that dream. Yeah. And it's uh, and so a lot of these songs are really interesting. Like, so like New Halloween, for example, the second song, which you just referenced, um, has that lyric about sad songs about... Mother's dying. Like he said, what does he say? You, he you goes, showed me this lyric. Yeah, he, he. One of my favorite lyrics on this is about how he, he references there's certain songs I can't revisit, and he says specifically like track two on Benji or what Sarah said. Obviously, what Sarah said is a Death Cab for Cutie song, all about being in a cancer ward and watching, love is watching someone die. Love is watching someone die, and then track two on Benji by Sun Kill Moon, which is a favorite of Jake and I, uh, or it's um. I can't, I can't live without my mother's love, which is, if you listen to it in the context of someone's mom dying, is a heartbreaking song. So I really like when artists do something like that where they reference other art or other songs that mean a lot to them. And 
Um, you know, for you and I, Sun Kill Moon, Benji, that's an album that means a lot to us. Yeah, so to it's hear a that to hear that name dropped uh, was really, really cool and kind of immediately hooked me on this album. Yeah, and when you showed me that song, I knew immediately that I was going to like this album because you came to me last week and, and showed me that song and I could tell it was a lot more screaming than I was used to or what I usually like to listen to and that's what I actually want to get into with this because obviously mm. the framework around this album is important and one of the things that keeps bringing me back is the stories which is interesting that he references Benji because that's what I like so much about Benji yep. where I come back and listen to the sort of heart-wrenching bits of storytelling that are in throughout the, the record but so with this album this is like the first true like hardcore or or screamo album I've ever gotten into and I would say that part of the reason is and I'm interested in what you think about this but the sound is done very tastefully and they're yeah. they're really at at their core they're playing very melodically in terms of like the guitar licks the way the album starts on Flowers and You it opens with a guitar and drum tone that reminds me of like The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Yeah. It's like this really echoey guitar over like the the hi-hat cymbal. And I think that what's, what's good about this band and why I'll actually continue to listen to this and maybe check out their other stuff is they do a really good job of balancing the aggression of the screaming with melodic, catchy hooks on guitar and vocally. There are some really nice sung melodies on here. I totally agree. So I going into this, I expected something a little bit even more aggressive than what you end up getting. And I think you're right. I think the the melodies temper some of the aggression and help it become a little more digestible. Like, I went into this thinking, be ready for something that, you know, you might not like. Yeah. And by the time the second track rolled around, I was already like, nope, this is pretty good. I like this. A lot of people, and I've told this to I think I told this to you. I said, if you're not down with something that's a little more aggressive or a little more on on the screamy or yelling side, you're not going to like it. We also, I feel, have been prepping ourselves for this we slowly. Have been. We've gotten like, a lot better with this type of music. By yeah. moving one layer in and another layer in yep. into the emo and sort of yep. hardcore worlds where we started off with the really pop, like sorority noise and with modern baseball yep. and have slowly descended into like... Descended sounds really negative, but we've moved through like right. tiny moving parts yeah. and bands where screaming is a bigger element of what they yep. do. I think on this album it works really well because the the content is so emotionally rife with just like it's some it's a situation where you would want to just scream yep. out in sort of pain. Yeah, and that I feel like that is what really resonates about this album is like there are parts where he's grappling with the ideas of of faith and what that means. It seems like he came from sort of a religious background or his mom was pretty religious or something. Because there's the part where, or maybe he is the lead singer, because there's a part where he talks about how he crashed his car and he like survived. He's like, maybe that's you telling me not to lose my faith. A lot of times he'll reference his mom directly as yeah. you talking to her like she's yep. still there, up there or out there somewhere. Yeah, one of the things that stuck out to me on this is him talking about how many questions he never got to ask his mom. Like, what brought you out west? Because he's from California. Yeah. And like, these questions that you only think about once someone's gone. Oh, yeah. And it, that's, that's crushing. That's the kind of thing that really struck me about this album and has stayed with me and is the reason why I want to keep revisiting it is because this is such a raw and intimate and personal look at what it means and, and, and what it... kind of the experience of losing someone who's so close to you and who means a lot, who you take for granted and you don't even realize how much so until they're actually gone and I think 
I was reading a piece, it, I think it was on Stereo Gum. They, they named this their album of the week. And they said for anyone who is either too young or lucky enough to not lose somebody or lose a parent, um, this won't resonate as much. But for people who have, it's it's going to really pack a punch. And I, I think that's definitely true. And that's really interesting because I, at this point in my life, have still not, thankfully, lost anyone major in my life. Both my parents are still alive. The grandparents I grew up with are still living. Um but I think I, I think even if you have an experience that you can find it within yourself to know what it will mean. Yeah. And as you get a little older, like we talked on the last episode about how these albums like Nick Cave and like Sun Kill Moon get you thinking more about what it means to be an accountable person in your life and what it means to be responsible to your family and to your friends and what these relationships mean and valuing them as other people and understanding what you mean to them and what they mean to you. I think that that's a lot of what I like about this mm-hmm. record mm-hmm. is that it has me thinking about, well, when your parents die... What are the things you think about? Yeah. What are the things you wish you said? And and like so much of your young life, when a lot of people lose their parents, is when you're trying to figure yourself out. Right. You're trying to establish yourself professionally, or in the case of of the singer here, trying to establish his band. Yeah. And so you, a lot of times, lose that time with them. And I think it's really easy to be, kind of selfish. During that time, I, I think you know we're probably at an age where it's easy to be selfish and only think about, you know, how am I going to establish myself or what am I dealing with right now? Where mm-hmm. it's actually important to think about what your parents might be going through, or you know, they might be missing you, or what it might be like if they're gone and you don't have the opportunity to talk to them anymore or ask them these questions that you never got the chance to ask them. So. This, you know, we always talk about Sun Kill Moon, and this is kind of a cliche, is like a life-affirming album. Yeah. Um, and that phrase, I, I mentioned it because I said that last episode. Yeah. The the phrase life-affirming is a big-time music writer buzzword. I think this applies, though. It does, I think though. it applies. Um, speaking of applying, Jake, uh, let's talk about the new Hamilton and Rostam album. Yeah, let's. How about these transitions tonight? They've been fire. Complete fire. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Hamilton and Rostam. Uh, um, we've talked about them many times on the podcast yeah. already. We've been plugging them because we've heard some singles like A Thousand Times, In a Blackout, When the Truth Is, and we've been getting hyped for it. And so finally this came out on NPR Music's first listen. God bless NPR's first listen. The, the word is out on them, by the way, because everyone's doing it. Last week alone, it was basically like we just had these albums released a week early. Also... What is the last album that just came out and like when it was supposed to? No first listen thing. It's a good question. And didn't have a surprise drop a few days early to the Kendrick move. You're I right. I truly take um, album release dates with the biggest grain of salt. <laughs> it's basically the only day you know for sure it won't come out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what seriously. I mean. Because everyone releases it early. It's true. It's true. Hey, I appreciate it because I can feel like a real music critic and be like, ooh, uh, advanced copy before it comes out tomorrow. <laughs> to like, me and uh, everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Just mumble the second part. <laughs> right. So anyway, Hamilton and Rostam. Hamilton Weithauser, for anyone who doesn't know, was the lead singer of The Walkman, great rock band from the you know mid-2000s into the early 2010s. And then Rostam, member of Vampire Weekend, obviously. So they've broken off. They've started to do their own thing. Really cool backstory to this is they're both from Baltimore, Maryland. They got back together. It was around like Thanksgiving time. They were both back home visiting their parents. They ended up like hanging out, going to, I think, 
Hamilton or Rostam's parents' house, just up in their old bedroom, just singing together. And they're, like, wailing up there. And one of their dads is like, are you guys okay? Like, what's up? And they're like, oh, yeah, like, we're, we're doing good. And then, like, this is how this album was born and how this project started. Were they friends when they were younger? I don't think so. No, I think they just okay. knew that they were both, you know, like, I think they were both just, they respected each other. And for some reason, they just ended up hanging out when they were back home sometime. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the, the sound of this album... I don't know if it's exactly what you'd expect no, given these not. two or if it's the opposite. Because for Hamilton, it's not totally not what I would expect. Because the Walkmen have always been a band that focused more on live instrumentation, just like the basic rock band setting. Whereas Rossum and Vampire Weekend are kind of the opposite end of the spectrum there, where they sound more... There's a lot of synth sounds, there's a lot of warping of the guitar. It's very it's the opposite of the natural sound the, walk, the Walkmen go for. Yeah. Um, but on this album, not only are they is Hamilton producing it because he's basically in a produce it, producer's role yes. on this, right? I think he's playing a lot of the instruments yeah. too. But um, kind of, like a, kind of uh, I don't want to say composer, but he's yeah. he's kind of doing the arrangements and figuring shit out behind the scenes. A surprising amount of sort of anachronistic tones on here, like old timey pianos, yep. like doo-wop, like, yeah, doo-wop sounds, yeah. sort of the old the steel guitar yeah. things that I didn't expect coming in. Um, and, but I would say that I, th- I think there's a lot of really strong songs on here. This is not what I expected after I heard a thousand times and in a blackout. But with that being said, I think what we got is still really, really good. Yeah. So what they seem to be doing is it's, it's almost like a time machine through pop music or through music that they've enjoyed throughout their life. There's some country elements in here. There's some doo-wop. There's some straight up rock. There's some folk. There's a lot of different things happening here, and I like that they're kind of taking you all around. Um, so I think A Thousand Times is one of my favorite songs of the year. In a Blackout's creeping up for me, In too. a Blackout, I think, is just as good as A Thousand Times. Yeah, it's awesome. In a Blackout. Did you see it in that it's Apple in, commercial? It's in, it's, in a, it's in the new iPhone commercial. Is that where you were going? I, I was saying that. I was like, it's in it. yeah, it's in the new iPhone commercial. However, before I even saw that commercial, In a Blackout, to me feels like such a quintessential fall autumn night song yeah everything about it screams fall and i think this album in general is going to be one we always talk about time and place for albums and how you associate them with certain times of the year certain parts of your life i think this one's a great example of we're going to look back and we're going to say that is that's a fall album right there not only for when it's coming out but for just how the songs sound i really like on when the truth is the sort of catchy slide guitar riff, the do 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 that thing. Yep. That song's yep. really catchy. Too. I think that was the third single. It got less play, I think, yeah, than the other yeah, two. Yeah. Um, yeah, so with this album, for sure, I'm still in a place where I've listened a fair amount on on first listen, but I've kind of dialed it back in waiting for its actual release. Um, when it comes out on Spotify is when I'll really dive Me in. Too. So as I'm looking at this track list... I actually couldn't tell you what what song the bride's dad is. That's the eighth try. I don't know which one that is. I so for me last weekend I went back. I had a pretty transcendent listen of it. I was it was a car listen. Mm-hmm. So it was I was locked in. I was seeing track names. I was hearing uh. it in that surround speaker sound in the car. I turned it up loud. I had a transcendent listen, and I'm really all in on this album. Really? Oh, I definitely am all in. I just have. I think I've had less. 
I've listened less so far, and I'm I'm waiting to totally dive in. I did a few yeah. listens early when it came out. Yeah. Um, but I I think this is absolutely an album worth listening to, and I think it has potential to be as good as we thought it would I be. I think so too, but in a different. It is way. what we thought it was. Exactly. <laughs> R.I.P. Is he dead? He's dead. Is that Dennis Green. Dennis Green. Dennis Green. He died a couple months ago, I think. Month, Damn. Month or so ago. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. R.I.P. Dennis Green. Wow. Uh, Back to football. Speaking of Dennis Green. Uh, new Symbols Eat Guitars album came out last week, Jake. Pretty um, years. So this is one that we were very, very excited for. A lot of music Twitter hype on this one as well. People saying this is up there for one of the best rock albums of the year. We were huge into Lose. We got into that this summer after missing the boat on that in 2014. Um, we also talked about this album a little bit like two weeks ago. We did. We it, again, it had the NPR first listen advance. Two weeks ago it did. And so now I've I've uh, sort of gotten into it more. I've listened a lot. And I've we talked about this the other day, which again, I we got to stop saying that on podcasts. I always do it. I'll be like, well, we talked about this. The listeners don't care. They don't give a fuck. They don't, and they don't, don't need know. that context. No. But I always feel like somehow you'll think it's... It's folksy. It's like, oh, these guys are friends. And we were talking about this the other day. It's like what uh, NFL commentators do. Yeah. Well, you know, Al, this is what we were talking about this the other when day. When we were at practice the other day, yeah. Al. When we went and met with Tom Brady, I said, Tom, look, look me, me in the eye. Look me in the eye and tell me you didn't deflate those balls. <laughs> Anyways, um, that little um, tirade aside. So I've had sort of an up and down experience with this album where first... Five listens, probably. This is when it was still on NPR. I did the opposite of what I did, have done with Hamilton and Rossum. I listened a ton to the online stream. Yep. Like, a lot early on. And then, to the point where when it came out on Spotify with its traditional release, I was less... I didn't feel the need to listen as much. So I have a few times, but not as much. And my experience has been, first few listens, I was all in. I was loving it. I was like, this might be better than Lose. I love the songs on here. And I don't... I wouldn't say I'm going back on the fact that I love the songs on here. I've definitely tempered my expectations down from it being better than Lose. And may, I'm just not as high on it as I was those the first few days it was out. And I, I don't know why. Yeah, so I, I'm having some of the same feelings. I know I didn't listen as much as you did when it first, first came out on NPR. And I think I, that was to my credit. Because I'm still at a point where I'm like, okay, I didn't listen a ton. Now I'm getting into it more. And I'm still really enjoying it, but you're right. Even after my first couple listens, I thought it was going to be like this transcendent top five album of the year, potentially. Yeah. It's still very good. It's just maybe it's not a top five album anymore. You know, it's still maybe. you know, it's still up there, it's still really enjoyable. I think Have a Heart is is one of my favorite songs of the year. Um, I think Well is is one of a great song that's come out this year. There's some great great songs on here. Again, is it better than Lose? I don't know. I don't. Maybe not. I really don't think it is. I'm not inclined to, to anymore to think that it is. And and I there are a lot of songs on it I like. What's the third song? Is it Wish or Wishes? Yeah. Um, I love that with like the distorted horns that they have going yeah, on there. Yeah, I love really nice Fourth of July. I that's a good song. I love Mall Walking. Yeah. I love. Yeah. I think it's on Dancing Days, which might not be one of the best songs on the album. Maybe it's Close. I can't remember Close which one it is, but there's one where he goes into a little bit of a falsetto thing, 
and it's reminiscent of Tom York to me every time yeah, I hear yeah. it. I think that's really nice. Like you said, Well is one of the best songs on the album, and I love Finally, the first song on the album. Yeah, the, oh, way, the way that crashes in. Yeah, because so it great. starts with these palm muted guitars, if yep. you haven't heard it, and it goes through the chord progression once, and then it, there's a little pause, and then all the instruments just well, absolutely man. smash in. Yep. And it's an amazing sound, and it's and if so, if you like cymbals and guitars, you'll definitely love this album. Yeah. And I would say I really, really like it. I think it. if you're a general rock fan, you'll find things about this album you really like. Like I recommended it to a friend earlier today, who mm -hmm. I know likes this type of music. I was like, you're gonna find stuff you like on here. Right. Now, is this a similar type of thing that we're seeing with beach slang, where a lot of music writer Twitter hype? Is this because it's again maybe? pandering to that white male 30-year-old to 40-year-old demographic who is, um, like, aching for rock music. I mean, like, we, we were just at the Car Seat Headrest show this past week, which was great, by the way. And awesome. And what was the demographic there? It was older white males. A because... lot. Dude, there were some guys. Did you see these dudes near the back of the balcony? Yeah. Rocking yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just bouncing around, like, pumping their fists. Dude, they're starved for some good rock music. It made me feel... Because this is just my default. I, I Basically, every single thing in the world makes me feel sad, and I laugh at everything. So, like, I find everything funny and sad. Really <laughs> interesting medium to be walking, yeah. to be towing. But yeah. I saw them, I was like... I was a little sad for them, and I was also, like, good for them. Yeah. I every, that might be us in 20 years. The equivalent of my emotional state is the, the glance, like, a dad in a sitcom gives his, like, daughter as, as he sees her, like, go off to the school dance. That's Jake's entire life. My that entire... One glance is where he lives every day. When he's, like... It it's like the little sack, and it's like him, like wistful. Doing, You're yeah. wistful. You're no one wistful can see the guy. face I'm making, but it's it's a, this feeling of wistfulness yeah. for sure. It's yeah. like it's like happiness and hopefulness mixed with despair. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a real weird emotional state. But they, those old older dudes were rocking out. So is this what we're getting with Simmel Z guitars I think and it's beach a slang and car seat headrests? Is this this um, renaissance of? We just want some fucking rock music. I we're gonna take it in any way we can get it. I feel like Symbols of Guitars is at least it's definitely different than especially Beach Slang. I think with Symbols of Guitars, they have less of that overt lyrical stuff mm. they're doing. And I think I find their personally find their music more interesting and nuanced than I find oh, Beach Slang. I'm with you on that. I, think I the, agree. I think the songs that Joe D'Agostino, right? Is his yep. name? I think he is a more interesting songwriter 100%. than is James I, Alex. I agree with that. I think Symbols has a foot in that emo scene we were so into earlier this year with yeah. Modern Baseball and Hotel Year and all those those bands. And I think they have a foot in what Car Seat Headrest is doing, which is almost like this classic rock revival, almost, but, but putting their own spin on it. I think they have a foot in both. And they have a foot in like shoegaze. What I like about Symbols Z guitars is that their sound is harder to define. You look at a band like uh, like Beach Slang, or even to an extent, you look at a band like a lot of those emo bands that we've we've talked about on the podcast before, and it's easier to immediately shoehorn them into one genre. Right. I think it's definitely harder with Symbols. I think they mix a lot of these sounds. They do some of the atmospheric stuff of yep. sort of a shoegaze. They have some classic rock elements, where they or they and some straight ahead punk, like the song Beam on here. Two like it's two just, two and a half minutes, it's just punk song. A straight ahead punk song. Yep. Like fast guitars, Yelling, screamed, screamed lyrics. Vocals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they do a lot well, and that's what I think about is that I think more than anything is why music writers are all in on them. Is yeah. I think with Symbols Z guitars, it's like this is a band that clearly has a lot going for them. Also, I think that music writers 
have appreciated them for a long time and continue to promote them because they don't seem to be catching on. No. They're not that popular. No, they're not. They are amongst people like us who are interested in music like that. Right. But they were, the other day, they were playing a, were they playing, I think it was that club in Austin. Great Scott. Yeah, they were playing. It's like a bar. A small venue in Boston. And this is is no shot at Cymbals and Guitars. It's just, it's too bad. I want them to be playing. I think they should be playing like the Sinclair. They have a huge sound and they write really good songs and they write sort of these anthemic albums with really interesting melodies and awesome production. Yeah. They feel like a band that's so much bigger than they are. Agreed. They feel like a band that's a lot bigger than what they've actually accomplished. So I think part of it is music writers are like, we've been on this. People like get yeah. get to it. Like yeah, with yeah. the Symbols E Guitars band, like they're awesome. Yeah. Like give them a chance. Speaking of music writers, Jake. Okay. Let's. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Okay. I'm gonna. Let's power rank these five albums that ooh, we've just ooh, discussed. Ooh. As if you think the end of the year comes around and you have to say of these five big albums that have come out so far in September. Just just these five. I know other ones have come out, and we have other ones coming out. Yep. Just these five. Which one is going to be your favorite to your least favorite? All right, I like this. We're going off script a little bit, so I'm just going to go... Um, just gut, gut yeah, feeling gut here. feeling. Okay, I'm going to go as of right now. Okay. Because I okay, can't, yeah, yeah, I can't sure. see As forward. of right now. As, as of right, right now, now, I'm going uh, number one, Touche Amore. Number two, Symbols. Number three, Hamilton and Rossum. Number four, Angel Olsen. Number five, Peach Slang. Okay. I like that. That's, That's about my what I expected for you. Okay. <laughs> I know that came across like... That's just exactly what I wrote for you. Yep, You're yep. so predictable. Yep, you fucking idiot. All right. Wow. Okay, uh, what's yours? Okay, here's mine. You're like, I'm going to pull out my fifth, top 15 <laughs> of other albums you haven't listened to. Just take this. Just take an opportunity to like make me get caught with my pants down and look dumb on the podcast. <laughs> to dress you down. Dude, well, you didn't tell me this was happening. Number one, I'm yep. going Hamilton and Rasta. Ooh. Number two, I'm going Symbols. Okay. Number three, I'm going Touche Amore. Number four, I'm going Angel Olsen. Number five, I'm going Beach Line. Right okay. now. That's right now. Right. Subject to change, but that's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, yeah, I love that we both were like, well, this is just right now. Because, like, you know, two days from now, it could change. Well, I don't want, we any- don't want to be too locked in. I don't want anyone, like, <laughs> coming at me. No. And auditing me later in the <laughs> no, year. No, no, like, well, no. Well, no, what's this? If you if you bring up to me in November, hey, Sean, you said uh, fucking Angel Olsen was better than Beach Slang. I'm going to be like, no, no, wait a minute. Also, wait a minute. Who is this guy that's, Some... like, that's taking us to task? <laughs> On, on this this off the cuff ranking we're doing, I, yeah, I don't know. Who I don't know if I is. want to meet that guy. Although it no, means he listened. Either. I don't. Yeah. God yeah. bless. Big friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod. The guy who takes us to task. Speaking of big friends of the pod, Jake, mm-hmm. you and I both saw the Beatles' new documentary, we Eight did. Days a Week: The we Touring did. Years. I well, think we should we sum up today's episode with a little Beatles talk I, I, and what this documentary is all about. I think that's a great idea. Um... <laughs> It's such a stupid thing to say. <laughs> I think that's a great idea, Sean. What a good idea. We'll cut that in post. Like, we didn't plan it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cut this in post. We'll, we'll cut this whole part. Um, yeah, so um, The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years. It's a documentary directed by Ron Howard with new interviews from Paul McCartney and Ringo with old interviews interspersed with George Harrison and John Lennon, R.I.P., Big Friends of the Pod. Um, and so this was a really interesting thing. So if anyone has seen, like I have, the anthology series, the Beatles anthology, which is like five DVDs, it's a long documentary taking you from the earliest years to the end of the Beatles' career, 
There's not a lot of stories in here that are new. This focuses pretty much all on the early years, 1962-ish, when they're like getting their bearings, and 63 when they're popular in England, to 1966 when they're wrapping up touring and they're getting tired of it, and they're they're almost ready to transition into their studio years, mm -hmm. which I think they should have a part two. I think there should Need be it. Ron Howard. If you're out there, make the studio years, please. Big friend gonna, of the pod. It's gonna be even better. Speaking of Ron Howard, what? So I, I went to go see this with uh, with Brittany, big friend of the pod. Big friend. I was trying. I was like, oh, Ron Howard. I was like, he is. Um, he's that guy from from. And I. I was drawing a blank. Ron Howard's super famous. He is. So he, the best thing I could take, I was like, oh, have you seen Arrested Development? He's the dude who does the voiceovers in that. Oh, he also was in Happy Days. Hap okay. And he he's also directed other shit, but He's what? a pretty acclaimed director. Didn't he direct the movie about that guy who's like lost at sea? All is lost. Oh, or Castaway. Or was that? No. I think it's Robert Zemeckis. If it's Tom Hanks, you can you can be sure it's Steven Spielberg or Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Although I don't know who... who who uh, directs the like Angels and Demons Da Vinci Code series? But anyways, this movie was really really interesting. And so unless you are, so anyways, anyone who is a friend of the pod or who's listened is like Ron not, Howard, like Ron Howard, and Ringo and John. They're not surprised that I went to see this because everyone knows about how I am obsessed with the Beatles and am like a huge huge fan. Um, and so even if you are on the level of obsessed and you know almost everything about this, it's still a really exciting movie because it's directed well and there's concert footage from those early years. And the whole focus, at least to me, is on how good a band they actually were, how they were a good touring band, and the fact that they were flying by the seat of their pants with all this stuff. They had, they like, they invented the concept of a stadium concert yeah. for them. They like all the stuff they did was breaking new ground today one of my biggest pet peeves is people young music fans who like say they don't like the Beatles first of all it's a contrarian thing but second they don't understand how important they were for all these reasons especially early Beatles because people write that off I love a lot of those albums but like Hard Day's Night and, and Please Please Me and With the Beatles a lot of people don't find that as as interesting. I think this movie helps put in perspective what's really interesting about it. 100%. So I'm someone who... I'm not as big of a Beatles fan as you are, but I'm still a huge Beatles fan. You're probably, like, at the one of the next biggest Beatles fans. Uh, yeah, if you're in, like, the 99th percentile yeah. of Beatles fans, I'm in, like, the 95th percentile sure. or something like that. So one of the things growing up that I was less interested in was their early years and specifically touring... Because for me, I thought it was always just, oh, it's all the screaming girls, and there's not a lot to this other than that. I was very wrong. There is that hysteria aspect of it, which, you know, if you're looking at it just from that perspective, is still really, really interesting. Because people don't act that way anymore, and I feel like it was a really specific point in history and in culture where that's the only time where reactions like that could happen. And like such a widespread hysteria, like it was. Yeah, it's and it's really truly weird. It's so because weird. you watch it now, and the footage of these young girls in the stands at Shea Stadium, for example, or at any of the concerts, screaming, fainting, crying. It it, it and the the disconnect in our brain is like, well, there are bands that for decades have been harder, crazier, lived up, like Led Zeppelin, for example. Right. Or like in the 80s, hair metal bands that did crazier, way more overtly sex-driven things. Yeah. But you never see that reaction. 
And I think what it is about the Beatles and that people forget is that this was a band where they really were doing things, and it's hard to see now, that were really different. And and I think a big part of the storyline that in any documentary you ever see about the Beatles, they always touch on Kennedy. And the fact that the assassination happened and the Beatles were seen as this jolt of happiness yep. and excitement and youthful energy in light of the assassination yep. and the sadness that was going on in yep. America. So kind of a right place, right time thing. But still, that doesn't fully account for how mad the girls would go. Well, if you look at, at culture at that time, the Beatles were one of the first like bands to really, like rock bands to really to break capture people's attention. Also, too, if you look at culture now, th- that would never ever happen right now because look at how fragmented and in specific people's interests in, in culture is now. If you're interested in something kind of weird, or, or a niche thing, you'll find an audience that is also into that with you thanks to the internet. You can hop on Reddit and you'll find thousands of other people who are into the same niche thing as you. At the time of the Beatles, you don't have that. You have Ed Sullivan who is telling you, like, here's the next big thing, and because that's one of the three TV channels you get, that's your experience and that's your exposure to any sort of culture. So, of course, everyone's going to become a fan and also it helps that they're amazing songwriters. So I think it's all of those things coming together at one time that resulted in this hysteria that can never, ever happen again. It was a crazy confluence of all those things going right. It's the post-Kennedy thing. It is the ubiquity of what TV meant then. Because at the same time, Ed Sullivan was like a variety act show. Right. Like he would have, like I think, jugglers and stuff right. on And like you didn't see people going nuts for that. Right. The also thing, the thing I think they did really well in this documentary was they showed that in the years before, the Beatles were, they were prepared for this success. And the reason they were able to take that and leverage it into being a band that would continue to do interesting things is that their interests were in the right place. They weren't obsessed with fame. They were obsessed with songwriting. John and Paul connected on the fact that they were songwriters and they love that they legitimately love playing music and they show they're like look for five three to five years they were a band just working hard like any other band to catch on in hamburg and catch on in liverpool and they started to gain some steam and actually there was a lot of sort of tinkering that went on with the manager at brian epstein who's like all right let's get you all in suits let's get you all with the same haircut like you that will help sell you and it totally did because Beatlemania was probably 40% about the music, Mm -hmm. especially in the earliest years. Mm -hmm. It was mostly about the fact that look at these four cute, endearing, funny British guys who all look the same, they Mm -hmm. all wear the same clothes, and they shake their head when they they go, ooh, like that was the whole thing. Right. But what people didn't anticipate was that this was going to be a band where you legitimately have two freak talents as songwriters and another in the wing with George Harrison coming up who are going to release some of the best records of all time in the years subsequent. One of the things I really, really liked about this was, and you brought it up, was them, they put work in in Hamburg and Liverpool to get to where they were. They didn't just come out of nowhere and just have immediate success. I like that they had Malcolm Gladwell on, Mm -hmm. who you and I love. We love Malcolm Gladwell. So in Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, he talks about how, uh, where like how people become successful, and he has that idea of ten thousand hours and how to be truly great at something you need to practice for ten thousand hours. He brought up the Beatles as a specific example, and he was talking about how they would play for eight hours a night yep. in Hamburg, Germany, on every, speed every single night, 
and that's where they like cut their teeth and really got good at playing together. Uh, and that allowed them to do what they did later on. They got to that 10,000 hours. So I, I like that they didn't just gloss over that. They actually brought it up that, like, yeah, we put the work in. And, like, we dealt with some shitty situations and not great, you know, dressing rooms and stuff like that before we actually hit it big. And that's another thing that comes back to the idea of this being an insanely just specific confluence of things because... If the wrong band were the Beatles, they would not have been the Beatles. It would have been a one-trick thing that ended in a couple of years. And a big thing they emphasized in this documentary was when is the when's it going to run out? Yeah. When's Beatlemania right. going to stop? Right. And let's that, pump out another album before it does. Let's make this movie before people lose interest. Pump out help. Let's yep. make let's bank let's make money on this as long as we can. But the interesting thing was is people didn't anticipate that not only was this band really good, they play really well together. But like I said, you have some songwriters who their interest was songwriting. Yeah. They wanted to be great songwriters, and they talk about it in the movie where they're getting to the point where they're playing stadiums. And once they finish Shea Stadium, they did other stadiums throughout the U.S. And they're like, okay, what else is there in this for us? What else can we really do? No one hears us. They're all just yelling. What we're interested in doing is writing good songs, mm -hmm. and we want to be in the studio. And so it's so unlikely that you'll find people who know where their bread is buttered mm. to use a phrase that you say all the time mm -hmm. and and they you know they, they're willing to make the the difficult artistic leap to say you know what even though we're making money hand over fist with these stadium tours that's where they made their money yeah. then we are more artistically challenged and interested in making albums yep. and the the they were already getting there with rubber soul and revolver and then they stopped touring and they make sergeant pepper right they make the white album they make magical mystery tour yeah, um, it is really interesting. And, and one one final thing before we wrap up is it's sad for me at least to see how tight they were as a yeah. group and, and how great friends they were. Yeah. To see that devolve over time to the point, you know, where around Let It Be and Abbey Road, everyone knows the, the band was falling apart at that time and they all resented each other. It's, for various reasons. It's, it's sad to see that happen. And you, it makes you wonder if, is it possible to be in a band that successful and to have that profile and to have that not happen? Because they seemed like the best of friends before that and really looked out for each other. Because what happened to them was, George Harrison mentions it in the movie, in, in the interview with him, they were aged like in, in war, at warp speed. Yeah. They were basically taken... They were just this young band, and they hit it so big, and they were the biggest phenomenon arguably ever, yep. that the only thing they had was to come closer together. But when you're four guys with all very differing... as They grew up together. They were literally kids when they got famous. Yeah. Like, I think George was 20 yeah. when they were like on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. And so the natural thing to happen is, oh, guess what? When you're 25, you're a different person. Right. So by 1968, 69, when they started to fall apart... They were just different guys. John had met Yoko. He was all in on philosophical and social things. Paul wanted to be a great band still. Yeah. George wasn't interested in that. Right. Ringo sort of did what whatever the, the group wanted. He sort of tried to right. be the glue. What I wanted to talk about was my favorite part of the movie, yeah. which was at the very end, um, they zip through the studio album years, and they, they go through from Sgt. Pepper to Magical Mystery Tour to you know the White Album, and then they show the Beatles at the end... Um, on the rooftop concert. Yeah. And I have 
never appreciated the rooftop concert as much as I did in this movie because you've you've seen over and over throughout the movie them playing together in Tokyo, them playing together on Ed Sullivan, them playing together at Shea Stadium, being a band. And the storyline is always then they stop doing that. But juxtaposing the rooftop concert so close after that, it was like, well, no, they're still this band. Yeah. And they're playing so fucking well at that point in their career. So a couple things is... That is only like 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 three like three or three or four years removed from Jason Stadium, and it seems so drastically different, and it's shocking to see. They're also in full rock star mode. By they the look time they are incredible. Let it be comes around. Paul's got the full beard. He's doing like this hip movement thing that looks so fucking cool. I don't always associate Paul McCartney with cool. No, people don't. But in that on that rooftop concert, he I think was the coolest one. Yeah, coolest looking at yeah. least. And he like was I think a little more dressed up. You than had the George and John wearing like their fur coats. And yeah, they also had like interesting facial hair going on, and they're just in a fucking groove. They played in the movie. We saw um, Don't Let Me Down, and we saw I've Got a Feeling. Both they just awesome. killed. And what's so cool about that era is they can still really rip as a band, and without the sound of just the crowd and with, with people there to record and where the recording's pretty good, it just, it's such a shame we didn't get more exposure to le- like what the Beatles could have been as a band going into the 70s. Because it's a double-edged sword. It's part of their mystique that they ended I when know. they did, but it's also like, God damn it, guys. I want so badly for an early to mid-70s Beatles album I that know. responds to that gritty, dirty... Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street sound. Because, you know, you always hear about the Beach Boys and the Stones and the Beatles trying to all match each other and influence each other throughout the 60s. Yeah. How would that have continued throughout the 70s? What would the response be to the explosion of a Led Zeppelin or Fleetwood Mac or these other artists? How does that influence the Beatles? Because they were, John and Paul, with each other and with other songwriters, were notoriously competitive. Yeah. Like, Helter Skelter is a, like, on the White Album, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a hard rocking song on, on the White Album, was a direct response to the fact that Pete Townsend told Paul, he's like, you've, you've never written a song as hard as we just did. He was like, all right, so we'll do this. Right. And I think you see that on the, the rooftop with the Let It Be songs. Yeah. They sound like they're, they're, they're moving towards hard rock. They're a full-blown rock band, and I didn't realize that. I never had an appreciation for it until I saw this documentary last night, and I saw the rooftop footage in that context. Where I was like, You're, if you kept going in the 70s, you'd be like a full-blown rock and roll band, more yeah. so than just a, you're a pop band. You'd go, because, you know, you take things like I Want You, She's So Heavy. You take Don't Let Me Down, I Me Mine, Dig a Pony, all of these songs that are on Let It I've Be got a and feeling. Abbey Road, they're, they're, those are full-blown just rock songs. Yeah, and like you had on Abbey Road, obviously, the outro medley, which is a different experience, but a lot of what they were writing at the time come together, particularly John. Mm. Like, Paul and, and George were still writing some ballads, like yeah. Here Comes the Sun, something. something. You know, Paul was writing like Maxwell Silverhammer, Let songs be, like that. You know, Right, Long and Winding Road. Yeah. But... John especially had picked a lane, and he was like driving them towards like acid rock. Yeah, Dig yes. a Pony and uh, Don't Let Me Down are just these hard, grimy sounding rock songs. Yep. And the thing is, is and what what is so happy yet sad at the same time about the rooftop concert is you know the context about how much they all kind of hate each other at the time, how grueling the Let It Be filming was because that was basically a project that just was failed. Yeah, they decided like let's make a movie. 
that documents the Beatles making their next album. The problem is, and what they didn't anticipate, was they didn't get along anymore. So it was basically documenting a band breaking up. Yep. So the rooftop concert is this awesome thing because it's sort of sad because you know that there there's a little bit lost there, but they still can play together. That, and they sound yep. so good, and you can tell that they feel in their element playing together. They do. Because they have for years. They do. And that was something that struck me yesterday, too, when I was watching this documentary, was you know the context around it. Like you said, that they're breaking up. They don't have long. They don't like each other. That does not come across when they're playing. No. It seems like they're having fun. Also, really quick, I've got a feeling, one of my favorite things about that song is that you get a distinct John part and a distinct Paul part. Me too. And we were talking yesterday, which which part do you like better? So there's the everybody had a good year, everybody had a wet dream part yep. that John sings. And then there's the I've got a feeling, a feeling deep inside part by Paul. So for me, um, when I was a little bit younger, I said it was an easy John part. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still my pick, but it's not as easy. The vocal performance from Paul on how he delivers the I've got a feeling and just the flourishes he puts into that. I was listening this morning as I was getting ready and I was like, you When he's doing like the like, I think that everybody knows. Like like, that stuff. Killing it right now. Um, It's very, very close. It's still the everybody had a good year part. Those parts work so well together though when they sing them across each other. Oh, and it's such a shame, dude. They were both coming into their own as singers too. Paul, especially on like Oh Darling on Abbey Road where he's like Some grit, a little bit of grit in there Unbelievable vocal performances. And what's so sad is, you know, as good of songs as they wrote post-Beatles, they needed each other to balance each other out. They did in some ways and this is the last thing because you just brought it up because I know we're at time but I want to bring this up is in Boyhood um, the movie uh, that uh, what's his name Richard Linklater directed it came out a few years ago had like a 99 on Rotten Tomatoes it's this three hour movie about a kid growing up and there's a scene where his dad is in the car and he gets him for his birthday he's like open this up and the kid opens it and it's a CD called I think the Black Album or something and it's basically he's like now what you have here is a Beatles album that they never made but but they made all individually and it comes together to make an album and so he's like you start with Band on the Run and then John talks about like he sings Mother or whatever yeah. and then George comes in with My Sweet Lord and it's a little look at like look at what they had in the 70s still yeah. and what they could have done if they like they had so many more albums to they put did. out together if they, they could did. have done it they did. but the problem was the experience they went through and the way they had to age together, it was just it, it, for no one would that be sustainable. No, you couldn't. And, and you it's can't shocking that they made it as long as they did. To really, be honest and, with and you, and pr- produced as much as they yeah. did. It's crazy. Seriously. Um, what a band, man! Seriously, seriously, new appreciation for a band who I was already blown away by. Yeah. Uh, so that does it for episode forty-two. We'll be back next week. We'll be probably talking a little bit more about September album releases. We'll be looking forward to Bonnie Vare as mm. well coming out soon. So. Subscribe on Twitter, at ListenInPod, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Jacoby Brissett, back to football. Jacoby Brissett, Jacoby Brisket.
brisket. How many uh, How many New England like smokehouses? If he plays a few games, which he won't, because he'll he'll stop playing in two weeks. Yeah. But if he actually became a thing, how many places like sports bars would offer a Jacoby brisket? Over under a hundred. I take the slight under. I'm thinking it's like in the seventies, right? So that's yeah. not a slight under. It's actually a big under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot. A lot of brisket jokes. How many brisket jokes is uh, Chris Berman making? Is Chris Berman calling the game tonight? No, just like in general. <laughs> and that's Jacoby Brisket. Smoking the Houston Texans defense. The fastest two minutes. Uh, speaking of back to football, though, we have a special guest in studio tonight. Um, we do. That is Shock Jock Jock. Who hasn't been? He's he hasn't been around in a while. Here he is right now. He's he's back after um, sort of a, uh, a, a um, what would you call it? Like a break? This has been more. Listen, of... we're beating around the bush. He he went to rehab. He went to rehab. He went to rehab, and he's in the bathroom right now. Yeah, he's had like three, four cups of coffee, two <laughs> cigarettes. He's it's I, I think it's like uh, what what are the what like do you an call? oral fixation? It's an oral fixation is what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, here he is. Okay, uh, Jacques, we haven't seen you in a while. How's it been, bud? What's up, guys? Hey, Jacques. Hey, do, you, uh, do you have anywhere for me to sit in here or what? Do I have <laughs> okay, to just right, stand yeah. here pulling my putt? <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little on edge. Yeah. I don't know if your listeners know. I have uh, been on a sort of a, a sabbatical the past couple <laughs> sabbatical. weeks. Sabbatical. Uh, right, yeah, okay. where, where have you been, man? I, uh... I, all right, I won't beat around the bush with you guys. Let, let, I, let's see where this story actually starts. A few weeks ago, I came on your show. It was, like, had, it was like a month and a half ago at this right, point. Right, right, right. Yeah, month and a half, couple weeks I got back on the motorcycle after recording the podcast with you guys, and I started to drive back to my apartment after I had had a few beers. Now, this was a wake-up call after, you know, sort of years of this activity, okay? So, I made a mistake. I was unaccountable to my friends and family, and for that, I'm sorry, but I was caught uh, and was was stuck with a DUI. I've actually been out of at WXXL for a few weeks. Oh, They're giving wow. me time to get back on my feet. No, they've been very supportive. Oh, it's like a paid leave. Wow, that's uh, sounds like quite the ordeal you've wow. you've you've had there. Um, so we we brought you on to talk some music if you want to. I have not uh, been listening to much music. I can't lie. I when I'm out of the studio, I don't get the things that the companies send in, and I don't get the you know the promos. Oh, so you're not able to hear, like, the new Wolf Mother or, like, the new... There's new Wolf Mother. The new Megadeth album. Is there new Wolf Mother? Uh, I've heard rumor, yeah. Oh! <laughs> time to hop... Shock yeah. Jock. Maybe time to get back in the studio. Dude, that was on your, your yeah. mid-year list of yeah. favorite albums. Oh, but you didn't listen to, like, most of those. Right. Oh, yeah, the Chili Peppers, too. Well, what else can we talk with you about, then, dude? Well, what about, what, uh, we were well, just talking football. Back to football. Oh, okay, yeah, well, okay, here's the thing. So you guys might... No, I know this. I'm a, I'm a Philly guy. I'm that's where I come from down in uh down in Philly. Oh, big big Eagles fan. Big Eagles guy. What, what do you is, think we have with this Wentz with this uh, Wentz kid? He's looking good. What do you think? Well, I, you know, it's hard to say. Someone just yeah, he seems to be out there slinging it, but you never know uh, when when the other shoe is gonna drop with a young guy like this. Well, you know, I think what people have been bringing up too is can he stay healthy? I mean, can, you know, concussions. That's what. Oh, don't. Are you gonna be one of these guys with the concussion thing? Well, Jock, it seems to be like. A serious problem facing the league, you know. You guys are the 
you're subject to these gotcha journalists and these hack doctors who are trying to take down an American institution, okay? I, I can't, I'm making me sick hearing you talk about it. Jacques, what do you make of someone like Junior Seau who, who, who killed himself and shot himself in the chest? He was to- weak. <laughs> he was- I don't know what to tell you. What? I don't know what to tell you. Like one of the greatest linebackers of all time. Also, Jacques, you are screaming. I'm looking at the audio uh, in on GarageBand where we're recording this, and whenever you talk, it just spikes through the fucking roof, dude. Maybe calm down. Well, you know, it's hard for me, guys, and I'll try to talk lower. All right? I know you have other roommates here in this, uh, this, little, yeah, this yeah. pad here. Yeah. A nice place, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, it's just as hard. You know, I grew up, so I was a kid in the 70s. All right, okay. and that was the Steelers. You had the Raiders, you know. <laughs> right. Back then, the yeah. Eagles didn't do a whole lot, but but you only watched a few games a week. And what I looked forward to was the hitting, man. I don't know. It's just uh, what's happening to our favorite game. It's outrageous. You're not concerned about player safety at all. Play. Give me one example of a player from the '70s who was hurt. Um, seriously, from concussions. I, I mean, like, I'm, there's been so many there's instances. Like too many to count, man. So many instances of people like not remembering things or just being in physical pain. I can't. Jacques, do you need like a minute or are you Dude. okay? Well, I'm fine. I just it's. I I thought we were gonna talk real hard hitting football, and here we are talking about you know, concussions. The is, you know these issues. Why can't we just enjoy the game, man? That's how it was then. I think that those things go hand in hand. Though. Football's a violent game. It is by nature. Dude, you're pounding on our table. That's going to get picked up by the mic. Please calm down. So, like, you are all about, like, just hitting and, like, violence? That's what you like about football? That's right. I like smash mouth defense. I like a good six to nothing game. That's all defense. so boring. Several players leaving the field injured. That sounds terrible. That sounds like... See, I, I guess we just grew up in a different era. Like, for me, I sort of started watching football with the, the Pats and the... Oh, the, the Cheatriots? Oh, oh, okay, right. You're okay, not a, you're going to do this. You're gonna, well, okay. the Cheatriots. Okay. What are they going to do tonight? Are they going to cut the headsets again like okay, they did against Jacques, Miami? And that was shock, shock, shock. Hey, Thanks, shock. Just Thank really you. quick, really quick, investigate what the Patriots have been okay. doing. It's all online. Okay. And, uh, and, and in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, there was something afoot for sure. Okay, yeah. Donovan Thanks. McNabb just doesn't get sick in the huddle for no reason in the biggest moment of his life. I have it on good authority, Thanks. and then I'll go that there was cyanide in his water that the uh, the Cheatriots put there. All right, man. You know what? Thanks, Jacques. Get, all right, get him out. Get out Thank of here. Thank you. Thank I don't know who you. I'm telling to get him out of here. There's no hey, one. We don't have. We don't have like handlers. All right. All right. Bye, Jacques. Later, man. Stay wow. sober, please. Wow. <laughs> Are we sure he wasn't? Under the influence there? It's hard to know, man. He, it is... Wow. It's to the point where... There he goes. Bye, Jacques. It's to the point where it is truly sad with him. I I could smell a little something on his breath. It was something. I don't know if it was booze or what. Or like something, just maybe like vinegar. I don't know. Something smelled fermented. Yeah. At the very least. His takes on football are hot. Um, I mean, we bring him Don't agree with them. You know, he hadn't been on in probably five, six weeks. I think the listeners were happy with that. Maybe we just don't let him on anymore. Yeah, maybe we don't. You know, he. I know we're in that contractual obligation with the radio station, but, but the like, thing is, since, like, he, since he hasn't been working there, yeah. I mean, I don't know that we even need to anymore. It doesn't seem, No one's checking up on us. That's right. I don't know. We'll see. You know, because he can't just keep... What's he doing? Laps doing around our house? around the house. Uh, this is an intimidation technique. Yeah. He did this last time. Yeah. We'll have to deal with that after the show. He'll probably be spinning around the house the whole time. Unbelievable <laughs> with this guy. You know, 
No one follow him on Twitter either, by the way. No, it's it's all just conservative trash. And just lame jokes. The last thing he tweeted, and it was a few weeks ago, was a camel hump day I saw, You know, I saw that. How uncreative can you be? Like, be more behind the times. I, that was relevant, what, two, three years ago? And, and even, even then, then, it, it was like flame. Yeah. Unbelievable. I don't know what he thinks is funny. His And, and his Eagles? I don't know, man. They may be like, all right. You know, they played the two worst teams in the league, though. Right. They may be going to be okay. the Browns and the Bears, so... Right. Like... So, who? I mean, who knows what to to make there. Yeah. But that was... So, good. yeah, good thing we talked football. I, we shouldn't have poked the bear with that. No. We knew what we were getting at. Yeah. There. Yeah. All right. Well, lesson learned. Um, all right. Let's dive into the show. Let's regroup from Let's this. do it. That will be a, a, a welcome respite from that. Sure. From that crap. All right. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one...